past nine o'clock on Riviera Radio and it's the Riviera Wellbeing Window. A welcome back, Gavin. Thank you. Good morning. Good to be back. Yes, it's good to be back. Have you, have you missed me? <laughs> Lots, yes. I've been all on my talk. Nobody to talk to. I just talk to myself all day. Uh, but no, we're going, now we're starting uh, with the art of a successful relationship. Indeed. Crikey. Lot to cover, a lot to cover. Uh, but let's start with maybe one of the easiest questions first. Why are relationships so difficult? Oh, you're right. We did start with the easy question first. Um, there are so many reasons why relationships are difficult and they're difficult for all of us. Um, and I'd say, you know, one of the things that makes relationships so challenging is if you think back to when we were babies, we got all of our needs met. And not only were our needs met by our primary caregivers in terms of being fed, in terms of having our um, nappies or diapers changed, um, actually, we didn't even need to ask for it. All our needs were anticipated. And on some level, that stays with us throughout our life. We, we then search in adulthood for someone who's not just going to meet my needs, but they're going to anticipate them. So that's one reason I think that they're difficult. I think that causes a, a set of expectations as to how we like to be loved. So we then try to find someone who is going to tick all those boxes. And another reason why I think relationships are so challenging is because relationships are often about two people who actually are incompatible. And what we're trying to, I know you're going to challenge me in a minute, and what we're trying to do is make them compatible. And, you know, why do I say about incompatibility? Because one of the things that we do when we look to settle down is actually we look for familiarity more than compatibility. And that's why we'll often have that argument that says, oh, you remind me so much of my mother, she used to do that, or my father. Because unconsciously, we seek partners who mirror our parents. And one of the things that we try to do is deal with our partners in the same way as we dealt with our parents. So, so many reasons why relationships are really challenging for all of us. So do you think the expectations can be set quite high then in a, in a relationship? I do, because I think the expectations start from such a young age that... I want you to be a mind reader. I expect you to know, just as very early on my primary caregivers, probably my parents did, I want you to know what I need. I want you to love me the way I like to be loved. Um, never mind that my partner is also looking for exactly the same thing, so we can see how they clash. And, you know, one other point I'll say, which is really fundamental, and it's to do with, with emotional safety, that relationships are also about survival. And so that's what the early relationship with our parents is. We feel secure. It's a safe haven. Um, and so when the relationship is threatened, um, that sense of survival, you know, something gets triggered in us. It's very primitive. So is that what you mean? Because you have mentioned in the past emotional safety. Is that what you mean by that? It's, it's a survival mechanism that we just systematically go into to protect ourselves in a relationship? Yes, I would say the primary motivating force for relationships is emotional safety. 
So it, it, there's a there's a therapy, there's a theory which is which is EFT, emotionally focused therapy, and there's an acronym which is often practiced by by therapists who who use EFT, which is A R E, and the A stands for accessibility. Will you be there for me? Can I depend on you? Can I reach you emotionally and physically? That's the accessibility. The R is responsiveness. Will you comfort me when I need it? And E is the engagement. Are you, are you engaged with me? Are you interested in me? Will you share your vulnerabilities? So that's emotional presence. That's emotional safety. And when that gets threatened, we start to feel what we often call the negative emotions. We start to feel abandoned. We start to feel rejected. And a good way to think about a relationship, and um, there's a therapist called Stan um, Tatkin, and I've stolen this from him, because he says, imagine two people who are on a plank of wood on, at the sea, and one person moves, and it's going to unbalance the piece of wood. Both of you are a system. You're a co-regulating system. And that's what relationships are. So that impact that we each have on each other. So that's the whole idea of survival and emotional safety. And most arguments in relationships are because suddenly I don't feel safe. Okay, now, well, relationships are rarely plain sailing. And is there a common reason why relationships get stuck? And maybe you with some of your clients have noticed a reoccurring problem. Yes, I think so. We often talk about in, in, the, in, in therapy, we talk about relationship dances. We get stuck and I do see a pattern. The most common pattern that I see um, is, again, I'm going to borrow from EFT, is what we call the, the pursuer withdrawer. And I bet you there's going to be a bundle of people listening to this that thinks, oh my God, we do that. So what tends to happen is one person is more of a pursuer the other's the withdrawer, no surprise there. So if I'm the pursuer, I will tend to, when I feel hurt or I feel unloved or I feel unseen, I'll probably criticize. I'll probably say, oh, don't like your hair today, Sarah. Or I might complain, which is, well, you didn't make coffee for me this morning, or I'll blame you. So I'm starting to act out those feelings. And the second partner who's now feeling rejected because you did your hair and you were doing, you know, really nice and uh, you forgot maybe to make me the coffee. But the feelings underneath, you're feeling rejected or inadequate, maybe fearful. So partner number two starts to shut down. And they become a bit defensive or they might use logic. And the more partner two shuts down, the louder partner one gets with the criticism, with the, um, with the complaints and the blaming. And the more they do that, the more partner two is going to eventually not just withdraw, but freeze and shut down. And some couples can go on for hours or days um, because they're stuck in this dance where actually, if the first person who's doing the pursuing had actually said, you know, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a bit hurt or I'm not feeling seen, um, that would be much softer. But they get stuck in this dance. Um, the two other dances I often see is one where it's just fight, fight, where the partners become the enemy and it's just gridlock and that's really hard to get out of. Um, and then sometimes, you know, and this is often partners coming to the 
you know, really desperate stage of the relationship where they've both just withdrawn. Um, we sometimes call this Elvis has left the building, where actually the person who's doing the pursuer, they've just burned out. They're just, they, you know, it's just, it's a dance of distance. So really important that we try to understand in our relationship, when we don't get along, because it's inevitable, which one of those dances do we kind of fit into and most fit into the first one? Okay, and would it not just be easier to maybe admit that we're maybe not built to stay with the same person for the rest of our lives? And if we, if we took that pressure away, forget your influences from your parents, uh, but in society in general, I mean, even you can read things where they say you live longer if you're in a long-term relationship. Do you not think the whole way of thinking, uh, which is project, projected between finding the love of your life and staying with the love of your life for the rest of your life, and that maybe if we turned it around and actually thought, well, you don't actually have to stay with the same person for the rest of your life. You could actually maybe have three or four different marriages and relationships and each time could be happy and fond memories and you move on. Are you leaving me? <laughs> Was it, is it like another therapist about to arrive, like this standing outside? They're just. I just don't know whether it's in our DNA to stay with, but we're taught we are taught that from such a young age that that's what you do. You you grow up, you fall in love, and you and you stay with that person. Well, maybe that's just. Poppycock. Yeah, and, and, and look, we, we can agree on this one with love. I, I, I think the searching for the one, I think, is um, a fantasy and it's a part of the fairy tale that we get fed. And I think that if we're lucky enough, we can have several love interests in our life and we don't have to be. Sometimes that's what people work out. Couples come to therapy and I'll often say, well, I've got no vested interest in you guys staying together. I just want to give you the tools to be able to clarify, should we stay together? Because if not, life's too short. Go find someone that you will fit better with. So, um, but I think we don't want to live in misery. We don't want to keep repeating the relationship dance. And you're right. I don't want to be tied to the same person forever if we've worked hard at it and we've worked out that actually we don't belong together. Mm. That said, I mean, utmost respect to people who do, of course, uh, stay together and uh, and have a very happy marriages or partnerships. But uh, I was just maybe trying to, you know, <laughs> play devil's advocate. But, uh, well, we've covered relationship conflicts in uh, previous shows. Uh, so can you maybe remind us how couples should handle conflict if you are stuck in that argument? And apart from the slamming doors, what, what can be done? Do you slam doors? No, I don't. I shout a lot, but the other person never shouts back, and that infuriates me. So do you think... I'm putting on the spot. Are you more, <laughs> are you more the pursuer? I like a good argument, because yeah. then I believe you can make up afterwards. Yeah, so that, and that makes sense, because actually what I hear you saying is, I'm seeking the connection. And I'm, what I'm seeking to do is there's, there's something that we're arguing over, and because there's a threat to the emotional safety, and when we make up, there's the connection. Um, so, so I think, how should couples handle conflict? It is partly about re-establishing connection. So one of the things I would say is, see if you can understand your dance. So when we argue, what is it that I do? What is it that I feel? So stay with your part, because we're always very quick to say, I'll tell you what she does. Mm. Um, and it's like, no, no, just stay with what you do. What's your part? Because what's happening is we set each other off. Um, and if we can use, move from blame to self-focus. 
and use lots of I statements. Um, and I talk a lot with my couples about nonviolent communication, which effectively is um, stepping back and saying what you've observed and how you feel. So rather than going straight for the criticism, so um, I'll give you an example of, um, I can either say, um, well, you threw all your papers down when I came in this morning. I know you got a cold, but you, know, you don't have to be so touchy. Or, by the way, she didn't. But, <laughs> or I, what I could do is I could observe it and I can say, you know, Sarah, when I came into the studio, I noticed you um, threw your papers down and I feel confused. Sometimes it can be helpful to say, and about that <laughs> I tell about that I tell myself. So I'm wondering if you're angry with me, and I wonder if we can talk. At Sarah which is point bursting. I would just say, get over it, Gavin. <laughs> Possibly, but you will say something very different when I say you're in a mood. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I might. So yes, I'm giving you the whole nice fluffy therapy stuff. But the point is, if I had just said. I notice you throw your papers down. Are you okay? You Ooh. might have said, "Well, I'm just, I'm just a bit stressed." But if I'd have said, "You're a moody thing," <laughs> I'd have got a different reaction, and that's what happens. So, if I can just share what I observe and I feel, the conflict is probably going to be avoided. Okay, well, it leads us on to first question from a listener who says, Hi, Gavin and Sarah. Talking about being stuck sometimes. I do care about my partner. We've been together for five years, but neither of us wants to budge in an argument. When we argue, we both believe we are right, and it leads to massive arguments followed by days of silence. We only made up last time because we agreed it was 60-40 my fault. How can we stop playing the blame game? Is one person always at fault, or can it even be 50 so, on some levels, and I don't mean this to be insulting to the person who's written in, it's completely irrelevant what's happened. Um, because, um, as we often say, um, you can be right or you can be married. Which is it going to be? So, we get stuck in these entrenched positions. And my view is that each of us brings our baggage into the relationship and we're 50-50 responsible. Now before before you take me to the cleaners on that one, let me explain. The 50-50 responsible is because actually I react, I do something and then you're reacting to my behavior. So we're responding to each other. And actually, what's really important going on in that argument is, um, I'm not sure I can't remember if they said what they're arguing over, but actually, it's just, um, how do you feel? What's going on? Someone there feels unseen or unloved. So if you can let go of who's right and share what you're feeling, because um, actually, the problem is rarely the problem. Mm -hmm. And it, the solution is actually irrelevant. It's what we need is what you just said. We need the connection. So I do believe that in relationships, you know, I, the example I always give, I've probably said it on air before, if I break my leg, it's a couple's problem. It's my leg. But suddenly someone else may have to take the kids to school or someone else may have to walk the dogs or so it's my leg, mm. but it impacts the coupleship. And we can spend the rest of the time whilst I'm in plaster arguing 
about how I broke my leg and why it causes problems. We can just say how we feel about it. OK, well, I hope that answers uh, your question. Another question. Morning. Hope Sarah's cold gets better. Thank you very much. Uh, not sure if this is what the show is about, but can we choose who we fall in love with? If so, I've made some really lousy choices. Here, here. I'll settle <laughs> for a cup of hot cocoa on Valentine's, but I'm still curious to know the answer. That's an interesting question. Can we choose who, who we fall in love with? Um... I'll answer it this way. I think we can choose who not to fall in love with. Really? Okay. And I think we can choose what to do if we find ourselves in an unhealthy relationship. And and so I think, of course, there's the bi the biology of mm. um, of love, which is the emotion that starts in our brain and then it releases all of these feelings across our body and hormones and neurotransmitters and all that lovely stuff. But I think, um, so on one level, I guess I'm, I'm answering yes and no. On one level, um, we can't choose who we're attracted to and we might fall in love with them. But if I know, for example, that, you know, you and I have been flirting through this screen. Uh, sorry, Sarah, but it is you and me here. <laughs> and this has been going on for a while. But actually, I know that this wouldn't be healthy because maybe you're spoken for or I'm spoken for. I can choose what to do with it. So it's very lazy when sometimes people will come in. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way and say, well, yes, I'm having an affair, but I couldn't help it. Because somewhere in there, there is a choice. So you might have felt the attraction to the, the other person, but it's what we choose to do with it. Oh, okay. Crikey. But could that not be from something that's happening in your current relationship that leads you down that path? Yes. So my responsibility is to deal with the relationship. I'm still going to make a choice if I go outside Sorry, the relationship. Okay. And, and honestly, this is really disturbing it's almost pathetic but i i have heard um men will say something like and yes men and women both have uh, uh, obviously uh, affairs outside the relationship um, and i've heard men say yes but you know it's because we're not having sex anymore so you know that's mm. why that's i had no choice i've heard men say because she's put on weight um and so and I won't tell you on air what my response is, but I am quite a challenging therapist in the therapy mm. room. Um, but you can, you know, you can join the dots. So we make a choice. So yes, there may be problems in my relationship, in my primary relationship, but I'm making a choice what to do. Okay, well, I hope that answered your question. And just back to uh, choosing who we fall in love with, you said, you mentioned earlier on, do you, do you not think that sometimes you could, there's a physical side, the physical attraction, that maybe overwhelms you and then even when you get to know the person you might actually go crikey we have nothing in common but i still really like them what what, what is that your choice or is that is that is there more a physical attraction or is it do you then stop yourself and say well actually we don't have much in common this isn't going to go very far do you think that can override what i'm trying to ask is could that override the physical attraction Yes, but I think they're not mutually exclusive. And the, the anthropologist Helen Fisher, she talks about the different love drives. So there's a romantic love drive. There's also a lust drive. Mm. So it may be that actually what's more being triggered from my brain is the physicality and is the lust. Um, and then when we, at some point in the relationship, um, and this is often what does bring people together, but because they haven't progressed the emotional intimacy side, 
they often work out when the, the, the sort of the lust begins to change as it does inevitably two, three years into a relationship and it's just, ah, that was all we had going for us. So, yes, I do think that's true. Okay, Gavin Sharp, a Riviera Wellbeing. Oh. Uh, wellbeing, how are you feeling? <laughs> you wait. I'm, I'm we'll, exhausted, we just started. <laughs> we'll be back after the news, sport and weather. But just to end, uh, Therese has written in saying, Hello, Gavin and Sarah, uh, talking about who has the last word. I can remember my husband and I would always end up wanting to have the last word. And after half an hour of it, we used to end up having a laugh about the stupidity of it all. Which I think basically sums up what you've what been great, saying. Absolutely. What a great way to be able. And I think if you can bring that, I love that. And if you can bring that humor and you can realize how ridiculous you both are, what a beautiful way to resolve um, the, the, the argument. Gavin Sharp, Riviera Wellbeing, will be continuing taking your questions at studio at rivieradio.mc on the art of a successful relationship. The English Breakfast Show is brought to you by Air France. Fly to spectacular destinations around the world. The Air France network accompanies you at every step of your travel cravings to make sure there is no location you cannot reach. Elegance is a journey. Air France. Go to airfrance.fr or in your local travel agency. Just gone uh, 20 to 10, we're talking successful relationships and the art of. It's, of course, the well-being window on Riviera Radio with Gavin Sharp. We've got quite a few questions to get through, Gavin. So without further ado, uh, we'll continue with this one that's just come in. Hi, Sarah and Gavin. We are listening to the show and my boyfriend just said that his idea of romance date night is him sat on the sofa watching football while I serve him a cold beer. I think he isn't listening properly. Oh, wait, what a surprise, a man who doesn't listen. We might also have an argument now, and we will call you after the show, Gavin. Thanks for doing the shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> what do you make of that? I sometimes get, I'm walking literally out of the door of the studio at, uh, at 10 o'clock, and sometimes my phone does ring, so I look forward to receiving the call. Um, I think that, and I wanted to talk about um, actually um, date night. So I think, you know, I mean, it's sort of said, written in jest, I guess, but also I, I sometimes talk, tell clients to be aware of the, the, what I sometimes call the invisible divorce, which is that you've both got really comfortable with each other. And of course, on some level, that's, you know, that's relaxing. It's a couple, they know each other well, they relax, watch the football and, you know, have a pizza in front of the TV and there's nothing wrong with that. But potentially, you know, what someone might be saying is actually that I don't really feel seen in this relationship. And so, you know, again, the example I often give, it's like when you watch two infants playing with each other and actually um, they're not really playing. Actually, one person's kicking the ball, one kid's infant toddler is kicking the ball and sometimes it happens to land in the other one's hand. But the toddlers are kind of doing their own thing. And that's what we don't want to happen too much in a relationship. So, you know, when people say, well, what's what's date night? It's not sat, sat down in front of the television. Um, it's not talking about chores. You know, date night is really important, but it's actually doing something. One person should pick 
what they want to do um, for their partner on date night. So I'll decide, I'm sorry to you and me again, Sarah, I'll decide, um, I know what Sarah would like to do. I want um, to sit in front of the telly watching <laughs> Senders with a beer. Apparently I'm not allowed to. I don't, that can't be right. If that's my and idea of a date If that's night, what you want to do, then what I might do is... Is I leave also, me on my own. Is, <laughs> She's in one of those places today. <laughs> but okay, what I might do is I might say, do you know what? You like to watch the football in front of the TV How and have a cold beer. How about I'd like to do something special for you because we, we often do that. Maybe what I'd like to do is how about I do some cooking and then I'll serve you dinner in front of the TV, let you watch the football, and then maybe afterwards we can have a chat. The, the slight danger with it, if that's your idea of date night, and I know you're, 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 you're driving me, but you and I won't have actually had any communication. We haven't spoken. So there's nothing wrong with you having a dinner in front of the TV, watching TV, but it would, uh, having dinner in front of the TV and having a cold beer. But what would be actually more special is if I knew that, I know, you were interested in pottery and you know what, I arrange for date night uh, that we go out for somewhere and I tell you, I've signed you up for a course mm. or, you know, I've done some research, there's a pottery course starting, you know, in Nice next month and I wondered, you know, you might be interested in it. In other words, it's too easy and, and lazy to sit in front of the TV. And okay. maybe that's what this person's writing in and, and, and saying. <laughs> maybe that's why I'm sitting on my own in front of the TV. <laughs> but joking apart, can it not, just from experience, I would maybe say that sometimes, can the expectation you put on a date night, like sometimes when you say, oh, we're going to have a date night, we're going to do this, you know, next Thursday, we'll go to that restaurant you've always wanted to go to, we'll do that. Uh, there's so much expectation around it that it then becomes uncomfortable and some of some of the best date nights can be when it's actually spontaneous and it you didn't plan it and it just happens because you you go out first mm -hmm. and then you decide to go for dinner can that be can is that not a better way of maybe doing a date well, night? I, I, I think if you can do that and you're mm. both good at being spontaneous and you don't have to worry about getting a babysitter and you haven't got right. a, If you can do yeah. that, absolutely be spontaneous. But I think the only thing that might be missing is I want to do something that shows I care about you. Now, I think your point's a good one. I don't need to, it doesn't need to be expensive. It can be really simple. I know that you like to, you know, go for a walk. So I might say, let's go to the, um, you know, let's go to have a walk at the Tête du Chien. Let's watch the sun. I was sun. just about to say the okay. Tête du Chien. Okay, so, so I know yeah. you're like, let's do that and I'll take a picnic. You know, yeah, it doesn't okay. need to be expensive. But what I want you to know is that I know you well enough and I want to show some appreciation. I don't need to spend a fortune. It doesn't need to be some big thing that we dress up for. Mm. It's something where I'm paying attention to my partner rather than let's in front of the TV and watch the football because um, we're not, you know, it's the two toddlers. We're, we're not interacting. Yeah, okay. Right. By the way, Tetris Shan, you can't drive all the way up there anymore. I Are went for the first time after 30 years here. That's shameful. But you now have to park before and walk a little further. Can I tell you something that's just as shameful? I haven't what? done it yet. I was just oh, saying the other day I it. want to do it. It's, no, it is beautiful, but as I said, shamefully, I, I think I needed it the other weekend with my parents. Shall we go? What? <laughs> <laughs> I know you like to. So. <laughs> there we go. That's our date night sorted. Okay, moving on. Giorgio says, Hi, Sarah. Uh, this might be an odd one, but my wife, who is Italian, drives like a maniac, and it leads to huge arguments, and then we don't speak for days. Please help or send her a driving instructor or 
auto Ecole course. Uh, Gavin, do you meet many couples who divorce over driving? Uh, joking aside, it's not great when this happens. Any suggestion is welcome. Well, I would say that when you write in and say your wife drives like a maniac, um, that's a criticism. Um, and if you criticize, there's nowhere else for your wife to go other than defensive. So we actually, by the way, we don't know whether, um, I don't know whether she drives like a maniac. I just know that this is someone's perception. And crucially, what's probably underneath it, and again, this is the essence of what we're talking about today, is how does it make you feel when your wife drives, to use your words, like a maniac? Because probably what might prevent the argument is it might be that if you say, um, um, I'm aware um, or, you know, my observation is that we're going above the speed limit. Um, and so when you drive, um, when you drive fast and you go above the speed limit, I feel. So I think if you can state how you feel, I'm fearful or I'm worried about the kids. Um, I think we had a similar question once before. It's, it's not about the driving. It's about mm. how you feel when she drives fast. And if you go straight for the, which is, this is very common. Yes, lots of couples do this. You're driving like an idiot. You're driving too fast. It's a criticism. What you're really saying is, I'm scared. Right, it could also be the parking space. You yes. That way, so you park there, and they go, no, I'm going to park over there. And you say, no, I think you should park there. Yeah, and you, you, you always <laughs> do, you're not very good at parking. And so, and again, once I go for the criticism, there's, you're not giving, you know, we don't go into relationships to have kind of these constant appraisals. You know, we can have that at work. We don't need to have it in our relationship. So we need to be softer. Okay, we're well, moving on because we've got to fit the final questions in before just before 10 o'clock. We'll have the best of the Riviera coming up. Uh, hi, Sarah and Gavin. Could you ask, Gavin, if love is a feeling or action? Love is... Love is... Watch what you say here because <laughs> I've got the answer. <laughs> and I talk from experience. Oh, I'm going to say this. I'm so nervous. <laughs> I feel, Sarah, I feel nervous and fit. No, um, I would say it's both. I think love is, and love is an emotion that starts in the brain and then we feel it all over our body. But ultimately, in terms of the work I do, we have to practice it. We have to be intentional. We need to, we need to be attuned. So whilst it might be an emotion that causes feelings, Love is something we have to do. And if we go back to how we started the show, that's why it's so hard, because no one teaches us how to do it. Mm. Is that, is that <laughs> what your answer was? Well, yes. No, you've answered, of course, because you're, you're, you're the one that knows. But, uh, yeah, I would say that I think it's very... Maybe, again, we're taught to think love is a feeling and you mm. fall in love and you feel love and you feel that special person, that one and only person. But if there are no actions... Mm -hmm then the love doesn't exist. If you've got somebody, you know, uh, that's constantly saying, oh, I'm so in love with you, you're amazing, you're wonderful, but actually they never take the bins out or take you out for dinner exactly. or, or you know, call you when, you want, when you're feeling down, then the action isn't there. So the love, for me, isn't there. And, and then the feeling, exactly. So the emotion will begin to fall away. Um, and, you know, um, 
John Gottman talks about famous therapists. He's written lots of books, and he talks about bids for connection. And what he what he talks about, and I, I can't remember if I have shared this before on air. He said two people are spending so much of the time with each other making a bid for connection. And in other words. Maybe I came in this morning and I said, morning, and you said, oh, I've got a cold. Actually, you haven't complained once, but let's say you said I got a cold. That's a bid for connection because the very fact that you've mentioned it and I can, you know, he says we have three responses. I can turn away from that. I just ignore you. And then you're going to start feeling a bit, you know, a bit sort of um, maybe upset, maybe unseen. I can turn against you and I can say, well, stop moaning. Um, or I can just turn towards you and say, do you need anything? And so we're constantly making these bids for connection. And if we miss these bids for connection um, and we don't act on them, gradually the fabric of the relationship, what we're bringing into the relationship space, it's gradually beginning to crumble. Mm. Okay. Now before, well, they keep coming in. They're not stopping, Gavin. We might be here till all day, until Valentine's Day, which is my next question. Hi, Sarah and Gavin. Isn't Valentine's Day just a rip-off? Expensive, low-quality dinners, expensive chocolates, etc. Uh, please tell my husband I don't want more mouldy flowers from the local petrol station. He thinks that romantic... He thinks that it's romantic, sorry. I don't. When I tried to tell him that last year, we had a huge argument. A P.S. last year, I was upgraded to an e-card. <laughs> Bless him. Oh dear. What does Gavin think about Valentine's Day? Well, we, we've all got to make our own meaning out of um, out of Valentine's Day, and of course, it's a big commercial rip-off and, and an opportunity for, um, and I don't mean that to all the people in the hospitality industry uh, or cards, Hallmark, who make you know make money. And there's nothing wrong with that from from doing so. But in terms of the relationship. You know, it's in, in this example. I think again, it's the it's the it's the action that's gone wrong um, in terms of I don't want mouldy flowers. And you know, I often when I do my couples retreats, I often start and I play a clip from a Jennifer Aniston movie called The Breakup. And they have this huge argument. I can't remember the actor's name now. And they have this huge argument, and she says, "And you never buy me flowers." And he turns around and says, "But you don't like flowers." And she says, "But it's not about the flowers." And in this case, you just reminded me of it because it's not about the flowers. It's about what that interaction, how she feels when perhaps something which has been done doesn't mean something to her. It's not personal. Let's go back to date night. And so if he had actually written a personal card, if he had said, go back to my pottery class example, um, for Valentine's Day, I've booked you a free class, um, free pottery class or horse riding. What I've done is I've let my partner know that I see you, I acknowledge you, I value you, mm. rather than just, um, I bought you some moldy flowers. Yeah. Well, I've, no, I'm, I mean, I'm not a fan of Valentine's Day, but just because I think every day should be Valentine's Day, and I do think it has become quite commercialised now, and as uh, the listener just said, there's a lot of, you know, you can go to a restaurant and pay double the price just because it's Valentine's Day. Absolutely. And, it's, and I think, so it comes with this set of expectations, and I think, you know, every couple, maybe talk about, rather than mind reading, because we might be waiting for a partner to do something big. So just say, I'd love it if you, um, if you make a fuss of me or I'd like to make a fuss of you. How do you feel about Valentine's Day? 
But I do like your point, and I agree that we want our partner to feel special all of the time. The bids for connection, the acknowledgement. Go back again to how we started the show. Will you be there for me? Mm. Can I be vulnerable with you? Have you got my back? That's the fabric of a relationship much more than the multi-flowers from the petrol station. Okay, well, I hope that answers your question. Um, this Another listener says, I've often found that if a lady gives you a key to her place, then she is literally giving you a key to her heart. She trusts you, has confidence in you, and seems secure around you. The last lady didn't, and even though she was fantastic, I was madly in love with her. So I guess that's the question, what to do? When this doesn't, or I guess it does happen. I, I, I probably need more information. I think mm. what I what I heard was that in the past, um, it's worked well, and he's madly in love with someone who's feels like he's not reciprocated. So maybe it's back to that question of can we choose who we fall in love mm. with? N no, on some level, he's fallen in love with someone, um, and so the choice is either to express how he feels to her. I feel um, that I'm putting more effort into the relationship. Well, it's not a feeling, that's a thought, but um, I believe we're putting more effort into the relationship. I don't feel loved. I don't feel seen by you. I'm deliberately using the same words throughout the show because this is what comes up the most in relationships. Um, and request something. What I would like is for us to spend more time together. This is the key to relationships. We don't make requests. And then we get frustrated when we don't get our needs met. I would like us to do, how do you feel about that? And then to your point, and it may be possible, um, uh, uh, it may be what this person needs to do, is to choose to fall out of love because it isn't reciprocated um, and she doesn't feel the same way. Yeah, I think also, because it's, sorry, the title was Keys and Love. I think it's saying that having been used to maybe how a lady reacts, yeah. and this last lady didn't uh, do those things, even though she was a fantastic person and that he was madly in love with her. So I think it was coming from, as you've just said, yeah. not what tools do you use when the person doesn't do what you may be used to them doing? So. Yes, and I, so, so I think, therefore, um, you need to... You need to state your needs. You need to state how you feel. And we don't like to do that sometimes because then we fear the abandonment. What if I make it worse? But right now what you're saying is, in this relationship, um, I expected it to be different because of the handing over of the keys, but I'm not getting my needs met. Okay, and before my ultimate uh, final question, you just touched on it a moment ago. Can you, uh, can you fall out of love? with somebody if you're absolutely madly head over heels? Um, yes, I think I think love, um, if, if we say it's an action, we stop acting. Um, and um, we, we can still be in love with someone and a relationship can end. Uh, but very often, uh, what can happen after so many years or a certain amount of time, we come to the realization that actually there isn't enough shared values or shared vision uh and then the the emotion in our brain it's no longer there so yes i do believe we can fall out of love and as i said choose to fall out of love okay so the question we've all been waiting for what's the recipe for a successful relationship gavin <laughs> so I've just looked at my watch and thinking, oh my God, I've probably got 30 seconds. Yes, yeah. yeah I've got 30 <laughs> We've seconds. run over, I but it doesn't say, matter. I would say be, be curious 
about your partner. The longer we're in a relationship, the less curious we get. Who are their friends? What are they worried about? Do you know what his or her fears are? Lots of appreciations. We don't appreciate the other person enough. Thank you for taking the rubbish out. Thank you. I know you've been taking the kids to school for seven years, but I do appreciate it. And I think let go of that I need to be right. Um, and we talk a lot about active listening. So with your partner, when you are out at date night or when you've switched the TV off during halftime of the football, sit down and actively listen. Don't wait to speak. We often talk about listening with an open heart. Make eye contact, be curious and actively listen. And it's wonderful to listen and it's also beautiful to be heard. Okay, great. Well, thank you very much, Gavin. And uh, well, I'll see you down the pub, Mars, at eight o'clock for the football. <laughs> That's our date night. Oh, you, you can go and take photos of the Tetris ship. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, thank you, and, and full admiration for you for pushing through uh, oh. when you're not well. Oh, no, don't worry. It's a pleasure. Uh, it keeps a mind off it. So come on, what are we doing next month? Next month, I was, it was a show we were going to do last year, never got round to it. I want to talk about trauma. Uh, which often panics us because we think about trauma is has to be something which is life-threatening and life-changing. And what I want to talk about is that we've got trauma with a big T and trauma with a small T, and it really impacts our daily life. So really important to understand what trauma is, how it impacts us, and what we can do about it. Gavin Sharp from Riviera Wellbeing, the wellbeing window that will be back the first Wednesday of March. Can't wait. <laughs> and in between now and then, if you do need Gavin's help, like many of us do, uh, then you can contact him at gavin at rivierawellbeing.com. Gavin, thank you. Thank you. Riviera Radio.